What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Straight Line with Ryan Leaf. Uh, we got your college football extravaganza for you, but before we dive into all of that college football craziness, college football rankings out for the first time from the committee last night, uh, we have a lot to say about that. But first, the NFL and the trade deadline came similarly timed with the college football playoff rankings coming out. The biggest news, I thought, was the Bradley Chubb trade to Miami. Denver moves off the oft-injured defensive end to uh, a real contender. I mean, the Miami Dolphins with Tua Tungavailoa in the mix with that wide receiving crew is just unbelievable, right? And I, I think that a lot of the credit's going to Tyreek Hill, and, and, and rightfully so, it should. But I will say this, Jalen Waddell and the fact they got him in the draft a year ago, just over a year ago, I think is the difference maker. That dude is really special. And you bookend, bookend him with the likes of Tyreek Hill, and that team is dangerous. It is really dangerous. And now they get another pass rusher, a guy that can change the course of football games. You look for game wreckers, he's got the capabilities of doing that. Now, I know he's been injured a lot, and there's going to be question marks, but it's the final year for Denver. He was going to be up for a big contract. What do you do? They get something out of it to try to help Russell Wilson and the rest of those Broncos players and team moving forward. Another big trade. Uh, this one was interesting. All right. This is for future planning. This is uh, this is the Jags going after and getting Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley can't play the rest of the year, right? The Jags team really feels like it's on a downward slide. Um, I know people are up in arms around Trevor Lawrence and his development in his second season. This is really his first season, in my opinion, with a comparable head coach, a competent head coach, uh, in fact. And so you add Calvin Ridley to the mix a year later with Christian Kirk and uh, you know Travis Etienne and, and that offense. And I think they can be explosive, and I think this is a good, uh, a good trade. Now, a lot of people are looking at it as – you know, it's not going to help you win now, clearly, because he's he can't be on the roster until after his suspension is up. Um, but I like what they're doing. They they believe in Trevor Lawrence. They believe in what Doug Peterson has to offer with this football team. And they went out and got a skill position player that's not necessarily going to help them immediately, but will help them in the future because that's what this is about. If you plan for the future with a team that has to rebuild and develop like they need to, Jaguars are not a team that you put that receiver on the team this year and they go off and win the Super Bowl. They're not the L.A. Rams from last year. They just aren't. Uh, another big one, the Bears. The Bears had a huge win over the New England Patriots the other night, and I think there was a lot of optimism abound. And then Robert Quinn gets moved to the Philadelphia Eagles, and then Roquan Smith is sitting there all upset about it. They go down to Dallas, and they fought their ass off against the Cowboys. Just made too many mistakes, ultimately cost them. Dallas was able to score a bunch of points. And then right after that game, they come back home and Raekwon Smith, gone. He's moved to the Baltimore Ravens. I love this for the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, they are at the top of the AFC North. Uh, the Cleveland Browns probably threw their hat back into the ring the other night with that, that win over Cincinnati. But the Ravens right now, this is their division. And if they want to bolster it, they have to bolster on the defensive side of the football. And so they go out and get one of the best linebackers in all of football, a guy that is a tackling machine. Guy gets guys to the ground, period. And in this day and age, 
where tackling is a premium and getting guys to the ground, that is the guy you want. And they went and got him. So love it for the Ravens. I don't quite know what the hell Chicago's doing. They certainly aren't building off the momentum they had from that win at New England. They are pretty much saying, hey, we're going to chip away at some of this, I guess what we had is thought as a foundation defensively and try to build with draft picks and other things, free agency and trades on the outside for um, for Justin Fields. And how do they do that? They go get Chase Claypool from the Pittsburgh Steelers. They went and got a big-time wide receiver. Now he's capable. He's physical. You know, he's got a lot of the tangibles of, of what Allen Robinson was in Chicago, and that just didn't work out at all. And so, therefore, I, I, therefore, I just – I think that ultimately, um, I don't know if this is a, a great move. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers, to be frank, feel pretty relieved to maybe move on from Chase Claypool. He had such an up-and-down early career in Pittsburgh. So I don't know if he's quite the answer in Chicago. I do know that Justin Fields is going to feel a little bit better to have that guy uh, in, in critical situations, on third downs, big, physical type of wide receiver, and maybe he'll be utilized differently in this offense than he was in Matt Canada's in Pittsburgh, which seemed to be a little bit of a struggle. I don't necessarily think he's great going down the field. I think he's more of a guy that can cross the field, use his physical size. That will help Justin Fields be able to get the ball out of his hand quicker in this system. All right. Uh, the last trade I want to talk about, uh, the Vikings lead the NFC North. I don't think any team's going to find them. Uh, the Packers are already four games behind them in the loss column. But they go get T.J. Hawkinson, tight end from Detroit. Now, this, this is shocking to me in a way, uh, specifically because why would you do this inside your division if you're the Detroit Lions? I mean, Dan Campbell's got to be frustrated as hell when this trade was announced. right? He's already got everything going against them. They can't find ways to win games. Offensively, they've struggled in second halves. They made a move by getting rid of the passing game coordinator on the defensive side of the football. I don't know if that's the answer. I mean, they're really in a struggling situation right now, and they go get rid of one of their best offensive weapons. Jared Goff and Dan Campbell sitting in the facility yesterday had to have been irate. Uh, it'll be interesting to hear uh, from them both on, on their, you know, some of their statements around this type of trade that the Detroit Lions decide to go in on. I, I don't like it. I don't like that the fact that it's inside the division. Like, hey, Minnesota, here's a guy that is physical, good catcher, is athletic. Why don't you take him and just kick our ass for the rest of the year? That's essentially what they've said. I don't care what you got in return. I don't understand that trade at all. But I guess it fits right in line with what the Detroit Lions are and who they I mean, it's identity. It's their identity, right? They, they are not moving forward in the positive direction, you know. This all goes back to, you know, what they do with their coaches. And I hear a lot of people are talking about whether or not to get rid of the coach already. You know, a year and a half in, I think you got to give them some time to ride it out. I don't know if firing the passing game coordinator on the defensive side of the football does anything for you, but I do passing game coordinator on the defensive side of the football does anything for you, but I do know what doesn't help you out. That's getting rid of the, one of their best players on offense, T.J. Hawkinson. Goes to the Minnesota Vikings, makes them incredibly better, right? You add him to the mix with Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, and the way Kirk Cousins is playing this year. Defense is up and playing better. Harrison Smith on the back end, and they're playing better football. They really are. 
And so this benefits the Vikings, and if you're a Vikings fan, you got to love it because now they may run away with this division, and they also are going to host a playoff game. So, I mean, right now, if you, you put them up against each other, everybody looks around at other teams. The two best teams in the NFC right now, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Minnesota Vikings. Those are the two best teams right now. Minnesota finds a way to win every week. It's not pretty. They got absolutely dump-trucked by Philadelphia earlier in the year, which makes Philadelphia a tier above everybody else in this in this, in this conversation. But it helps out the Minnesota Vikings, and they got that courtesy of a division foe in the Detroit Lions. All right, when we come back, we'll get into all the college football action, right? The college football rankings, the slate for this weekend, the Gold Leaf Gold Standard right here on The Straight Line with Ryan Leaf. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everybody, to The Straight Line with Ryan Leaf. We get you now all caught up with the college football world. Um, Last night, the college football playoff committee released their first rankings, their initial rankings of the season. Let me put this in perspective for you. Uh, In the history of the college football playoff, the initial four teams that were in the top four of the initial rankings have never all four made the playoffs. So just... You know, relax there for some of you teams. In fact, the year one, the number one team in the college football playoff in the first uh, initial rankings was the Mississippi State Bulldogs. The 16th team, which ultimately went on to win the national championship, the Ohio State Buckeyes. So everybody has uh, some interest vested in that. I think the biggest um, conversations were, what was Tennessee going to be? Were they going to be number one? Where was Georgia going to be? You know, I I don't know if I'm Josh Heupel as they get the number one seed uh, in last night's rankings, if he is using this as fodder in his locker room, that, like, this is what we deserve, this is who we are, it doesn't matter. I know for a fact that Kirby Smart uh, is using this all over his facility today, being disrespected, right? The disrespect that the committee, the nation is showing you, you were the defending national champions You have a win over the number eight team in the country and absolutely dominated them, 49-3. to Too many people are looking at Georgia and are looking at that Kent State game as well as the Missouri game and seeing them as flaws. What I see is dealing with adversity in hostile environments, in particular Missouri, in in conference, late at night on a Saturday night, finding ways to win. They were down 10 in the fourth quarter, right? That's meaningful. Tennessee has probably, you know, what people would argue is the best win because Alabama every single year is considered one of the best teams out there. So I don't know if I buy into that as the best win. I will say it's uh, a huge, huge uh, victory for them and where they want to get to. And I don't think a lot of people could have ever imagined that this Tennessee Volunteers team would be where they're at so quickly under Josh Heupel with where they were at in terms of what the portal did and where everybody migrated out. Hendon Hooker was a guy that came from Virginia Tech, but now they're the number one team in the country uh, in the first initial college football rankings. Number two is Ohio State coming off the big win at Penn State in the comeback. Three, ten is, uh, three is Georgia. And then uh, the fourth team, um, what do we got here for the fourth team? Oh, yeah, the big conversation piece. Clemson. How does that work out? 
All right. How does that work out, everybody? My biggest, um, I think, takeaways from the initial rankings is, and I've said this for years, this is all going to work out, right? Michigan's going to play Ohio State. Like Alabama's going to play LSU and then ultimately Georgia and Tennessee and whoever wins that game most likely will play Alabama uh, in the SEC. I mean, all this stuff works out. But the made-for-TV way it goes about things, just absolutely um, there's no accountability. And the committee, all 13 of the members, feel a bit like they're groupies and they're brand groupies, okay? You know, you got uh, the groupies that fall around – you know, bands on the road. This is what the the committee does from time to time. They 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 jump from bed to bed of uh, of the brands. And Clemson is a solidified college football playoff brand. Until last year, they'd gone to six consecutive, right? So they are right back in the mix now. They go to Notre Dame this weekend, and then again, games can be worked out the way it goes down the line. The biggest disrespect and the absolute worst, I think, ranking that they have is that they have TCU at seven. TCU has played a better schedule than anybody. Let's just, you want to make a comparison to Alabama, who's ranked ahead of them at six with one loss? Alabama doesn't have any top 18 wins. No top 18 wins. TCU has two. Uh, TCU has no losses. Alabama has one loss. Okay? So make it make sense. If that's not about what's on the side of the helmet, right, or the logo that they carry onto the field, if that's not what that's about, I don't know what is. When Boo Corrigan, the committee chair, got up and you know has to do his explanation, he said some. He said stuff. Let's just put it that way. He said stuff. Um, he said that ten, uh, TCU. Uh, is just not as a, a balanced team as, let's say, Alabama. Well, I would argue they are more balanced than Alabama is in terms of what they do offensively and defensively. He also did not give TCU a ton of credit for being down in games and then coming back. And he, he said that was a detriment. A few seconds later, he talks about why Ohio State's in the position they're in over Georgia because they've been down. They were down last week to Penn State and came back and won. But they weren't penalized for that. They were actually... Uh, patted on the back for that. So it's it's very brand-centric, okay? Tennessee, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Michigan at five, uh, Alabama at six, TCU at seven, and then Oregon and the Pac-12 schools start moving from there. LSU. LSU, for me, is is an interesting one. They're being propped up because of Ole Miss, because the committee really likes Ole Miss, and they have them at 11. So if Ole Miss is going to be at 11, then you have to have LSU ahead of them in their eyes, though, because they just beat them, and it's recent, right? They dominated them, outscored them 42-3 to in the final three quarters of that football game. So that's being so LSU's being propped up by that. So don't be fooled by it with LSU-Alabama this week in Baton Rouge. We'll talk about that game a little bit later. Um, Clemson sneaking in. There's, we, we talked about that's the brand aspect of things. Um you know, the Tennessee Volunteers for me, and we're going to, of course, break this game down in a big way uh, in a few minutes, but they're really giving me 2019 LSU vibes. In that, if you recall, Joe Burrow 
Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, that great defense. They went to Texas, Austin, Texas, early in the year. You know, it was a back-and-forth game. They found a way ultimately at the end to get the win. And then there was this belief, and they just kept doing it week after week after week. Tennessee's done that, right? They go to LSU. They dominate them in Baton Rouge, something they haven't been able to do. They come home and beat Alabama for the first time in 16 years, right? Then I think some people were a little worried about going, you know, dealing with Kentucky this week. Looking ahead to Georgia maybe a little bit, not one iota. They just ran roughshod, made Will Levis look foolish, uh, the so-called, you know, stubborn and, and um, aggressive defense for Kentucky was just run through by Hendon Hooker and Hyatt and everybody. So for me, it, it gives me some vibes of that 2019 LSU team. And I'm excited to see this matchup this week. Um, what we're going to have to um, understand about Tennessee is, what does it look like on the road? And I think we all asked that question when they went to LSU. And I think they answered that. So be ready for that next week. When we come back, we're going to recap all of last week's big college football news, some firings, some big wins. We had our worst week of the year. Uh, First time we were under 500 this year. All right, we'll get into that and more when we come back here on The Straight Line with Ryan Leaf. All right, everybody, welcome back uh, to the Straight Line with Ryan Leaf here, Points Bet Sportsbook. Um, worst week of the year for us. First time we've been under 500 on any weekend. And where are we at? Week 10? I mean, we've, we've been having a heck of a year. It's bound to happen. We've kind of made a, got caught a bit of a heater on the NFL side of things, and, you know, the cooler found its way to the college football side. Two and five and one this last week. I removed the Utah-Washington State game from Thursday night because, uh, and I hoped uh, everybody who bet the over there got kind of got their money back on that end of things because, I mean, we, we, were, we were not led to, to know that Cam Rising, Tavion Thomas, Makai Bernard, their three best players on offense essentially, would not go in that football game. So 2-5-1 and five and one this weekend. We're still well over 500 uh, for the year. We'll try to bounce back and come back. Uh, this week, the biggest loser outside of ourselves this last weekend, Brian Harson, right? Finally, gets fired uh, from the University of you know Auburn University. This was inevitable, inevitable. This was a ticking time bomb. This thing got thrown into action in the off season when a bunch of boosters and alumni came after his job. He fought it. Athletic director came in, backed him. Athletic director gets fired. Now, of course, new athletic director that's going to come in is going to want to hire his own guy. So Brian Harson, this whole year, he was a lame duck. I mean, there was nothing moving forward for him to be successful. And the bottom line is he did not adapt. Adapt or die in the SEC. You either come in and change what you do, especially around recruiting, or things get difficult in a hurry, and that's what happened. They could not win games. They were embarrassed at home, on the road. It didn't matter. I think he is a great football coach, and in fact, I do think he gets swooped up pretty quickly. He's getting paid a lot of money not to coach football. It's pretty cool to see mediocre coaches, in the eyes of a lot of people, make a bunch of money uh, 
not to coach. Good for him. Good for him. I think he's a great coach. I think the University of Colorado really looks at him. I do. I, I also thought, you know, when Washington State needed a new head coach a few years back when they went after Nick Rolovich, Brian Harson was at the top of my list. I think he's a great football coach. I think he can do it in that market now. Colorado, you know, Boise State head coaches have not had great success at Colorado. But that would be a stop I think could be, uh, be a very possible uh, positive thing moving forward. And if I'm Rick George, athletic director, um, I'm immediately calling Brian Harson's agent right now and having that conversation. All right. As for the big games this weekend, Ohio State uses a big fourth-quarter comeback to beat Penn State. Now, we thank Penn State because one of our two wins this week was a backdoor cover by the Nittany Lions. Now, they rocked. They rolled. They were dominating that football game from start to finish almost. But as anything, in those big moments, what do you do when the most stress and everything's on you, when you finally see that finish line, when you're – James Franklin, and you've only won one top 15 matchup, right? What, what does that look like? Well, it looked like it has all the time. They choked, right? JTT, defensive tackle, had maybe the biggest impact I've ever seen in the college football playoff era in making sure his team stays at the very top. He had a fumble recovery. He caused a fumble. He had an interception. Uh, he tipped another ball that got caught, got picked off. He sacked the quarterback. I mean, he was all over the football field and is the reason why they won this football game. Penn State gave them everything they had, but ultimately those big moments, those big pressure moments, C.J. Stroud, Ryan Day, this Ohio State Buckeyes team, they're built for it, right? They're built for it. They just are. Where other teams have been, uh, you know, you know, been shown it, Ohio State, for the better part of the last decade, was molded in it, right? Born to it. They are able to go on the road. They're able to travel. The defense shows up. The Jim Knowles hire from Oklahoma State cannot be overstated enough for this Buckeyes team. Um, I have them as the number three team in the country. As you see, the committee has them at number two. This will all be sorted out at the horseshoe against Michigan later in the year. As for the number three team in the country, the Georgia Bulldogs, they handle Florida. I think there was a bit of looking ahead, like it was natural, but this was a rivalry game, right? The biggest outdoor cocktail party in Gainesville. And they ran out to a big lead. Uh, and they let Florida kind of stick around a little bit, so much so that uh, uh, the uh, the total went over, and that was another one of our, our losses. Um, but I, I, I do give Georgia credit. Uh, they really utilized their big NFL-type tight ends, and the defense once again showed up, setting up for that big matchup next week. So Georgia uh, definitely looks the part. Um, you know, the defense is elite. They just are. They're just an elite group. All right, Michigan. Michigan and Michigan State. This is a big rivalry game. Um, and, of course, with what we've seen after uh, with what went down in the tunnel, uh, where now eight Michigan State players have been suspended, and as we hear Jim Harbaugh talk, almost at every one of his press conferences about they want them prosecuted by the full extent of the law for their actions. And I understand it. Um, you know, one tunnel uh, for two teams in a hostile rivalry like this and in the beatdown that Michigan gave them, that's, that's and it's bound to happen. You know, guys and their pride and when they wear those uniforms, those helmets, enough so that, you know, Aaron Donald out on a practice field feels like he can rip off somebody's helmet and beat them with it. And guess what? 
We're taught that. Like one of my offensive line coaches said, if you get in a fight on the football field, get the guy's helmet off, get it off and beat him with it. That's what, that's what we were taught as players. Like, so clearly this Michigan team is physical. They run the football. They don't make mistakes at the quarterback position. And that gives them the best chance to go to Ohio State. The fact that it's in Columbus scares me and doesn't want me really to go out on a limb for Michigan. But this team, their defense travels, their offensive physical nature, and limiting possession travels as well. So that's going to make for a heck of a game. And I don't think either one of them play anybody else truly until they meet in that matchup at the end of the year. Tennessee throttles Kentucky. Um, we liked them. They were minus 12 and a half. We really liked them. We rolled with them. That's a, those were our two wins, by the way. Penn State with the backdoor cover and uh, Tennessee with the big win, 44-6 to six over, over Kentucky. They just, they just ran through them. They are playing at an elite level. We've talked about them before. Uh, again, I'll, I'll say it. 2019 LSU vibes are giving me. Hendon Hooker, Joe Burrow. Those are the kind of vibes I'm getting. The wide receiving core for Tennessee, right? They get Wilson back. Uh, Hyatt's been going for all he does is catch touchdowns. They're going to have to run the football. That's going to be the difference maker in this game. We'll preview that here in a little bit um, when we come back. But before we go, I want to give you a comparison to uh, the first initial college football playoff rankings and the gold leaf that we do every single week. Um, I'm not a brand bunny. I'm not a brand groupie, right? I don't look at a brand name or a helmet decal and think they automatically get the benefit of the doubt. I think I may have in years past just because I've been so hit over the head with it and just inundated with what that looks like. But it's not the truth, right? So let's go through the Gold Leaf top 25 this week. Let's start on the back end. At 25, I have the Syracuse Orange. They played. They should not have started Schrader. I don't know why they did. I, I get that he was a tough kid and tried to go, but, I mean, it limited them completely against Notre Dame in the first half. And even though they were able to cut, uh, cut it to seven points late, they just they had been overwhelmed, and it was not going to happen. All right, I've, Liberty at 24. I moved the University of Washington, who was 6-2, and two, into the top 25 at number 23. I have Central Florida at 22, Tulane at 21. Wake Forest, after that embarrassing loss to Louisville, no one, and I mean no one, saw that one coming. Maybe they were looking ahead at NC State. I don't know. But it was a brutal beatdown. Hartman throws three picks. Uh, they slide all the way to 20 in the gold leaf. At 19, the Oklahoma State Cowboys, 48 to nothing. <laughs> that was a plus two and a half team we rolled with this last week. They've been really good to us. They have. But they got overwhelmed. And Kansas State with their backup quarterback. Wow. Wow. Oregon State at 18. The Beavers keep to keep climbing. At 17, Penn State after their loss. Their two losses to Ohio State and Michigan, both teams that are in my top uh, top what five. So they get the benefit of the doubt. I don't know how, you know, they they could be a team that goes 10 and 2. They really could be. And no one would really give them a ton of credit because the two losses came to the teams they just can't get over the top of, right? I have Kansas State at 16 after the big win. They get a real chance this weekend in a game we'll preview a little bit later versus Texas. 15, North Carolina. This is the team we talked about last week. We talked about them because of Drake May, their redshirt freshman quarterback that is having a Heisman Trophy caliber season. They have a real chance. If Notre Dame can knock off Clemson this weekend, 
North Carolina has a opportunity to win that conference. If they win that conference at 12 and one with the numbers that Drake may has, he has to be in the Heisman consideration. He has to be another huge weekend for him in the Tar Heels, uh, finding a way to win, scoring 21 points in the fourth quarter at 14. I have the LSU Tigers after their big win against Ole Miss a couple weeks ago. Um, they get the bye. Uh, they head into the matchup with Alabama on a roll. Uh, at 13, the Utah Utes. At 12, the Illini from Illinois. This team has every chance to play either Michigan or Ohio State for the Big Ten title. And I tell you right now, on a neutral site, with the defense that Brett Bielema has, the way they run the football and squash possessions, watch out. Watch out for this fight in the Illini team. I have that as the, uh, as the number 12 team in the country. At 11, UCLA. They won't play anybody again until USC uh, the second to last weekend of the season. I have that game, by the way, out at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. 10, the Ole Miss Rebels. I had these guys this week. I was in College Station. What a great football game. What an amazing atmosphere. Uh, Lane Kiffin has got his boys rolling. Freshman running back goes for almost 400 yards a total. Uh, he goes over 200 yards rushing. The team goes for almost 400 yards rushing. Uh, and they just clamp him down. Uh, really liked... Um, the young freshman quarterback for Texas A&M. I think he's going to be pretty darn good. Five-star kid uh, out of Texas who started his first game as a freshman, went out and threw three touchdown passes and over 300 yards in his first start. USC at number nine. Oregon at number eight. Alabama at number seven. You could argue that Oregon, USC, maybe belong above Alabama. We're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm saying they're the best one-loss team in the country. If you're complaining about it, complain. Scream it to the fan. They're the best one team, one-loss team in the country. Under them, Clemson at six, Michigan at five, TCU deservedly so at four, Ohio State at three, Tennessee at two, and until somebody beats the defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs. They are the number one team in the country right now. Continue to do so, right? Big game this weekend against Tennessee. We're going to preview that game, plus a bunch of others to get you ready for the big slate of college football on Saturday, right here on The Straight Line with Ryan Leaf. We'll be right back. All right, well, welcome back to the show. Let's get you prepped and ready to see if we can build back up for our disappointing performance from last week. Let's start with the biggest game in all the land, Tennessee at Georgia. All right, the uh, Bulldogs are favored by 8.5 points. Uh, the total in this game is 66. I want a good football game. Now, what would benefit Oregon, a team out of the Pac-12 that wants – uh, their name thrown into the mix if they're able to win their conference. What they need is they need Georgia to absolutely drub Tennessee. Drub them. And I don't know if that's going to happen. Tennessee's offense is incredibly explosive. They showed they're very versatile on the road in tough environments already this year. And they found ways to win. I already told you I think they have the, the 2019 LSU vibes. And in that, in saying that, I'm not I don't want, I'm not ready to make a pick in terms of the game and the spread. I want a good football game. And if that means a good football game, that means it's high scoring. That means it's high scoring. So let's go the over 
of 66, right? Let's let's see an Alabama-Tennessee type of game this weekend, right? 52-49. Let's see it play out that way. I, I really do think that would make for a great college football atmosphere. I know Sanford Stadium's been waiting for a game like this for some time to showcase and the fact that they've been disrespected this week. So let's go over 66 for Tennessee-Georgia. If you want, who do, you, who do I think is going to win this football game? I just don't think that there's an offensive firepower enough on the Georgia side of the football. Tennessee's going to have to run the ball. I do think Tennessee upsets Georgia. I, I do think that happens. That might be our upset of the week. I don't know. I haven't thought about it. But for betting purposes, let's go uh, over 66 for this matchup. All right. The other big AC, or the other big SEC matchup this week, and this game every single year was one that we always looked at. The last time it really was meaningful was 2019. LSU went to Tuscaloosa. That game was gangbusters. Tua Tungavailoa, Joe Burrow going back and forth. Very similar vibes right now. Jaden Daniels. Like, has found something in Brian Kelly's offense. What they did the last three quarters against Ole Miss was incredibly impressive. But I just I don't think they match up very well against Alabama. I think Bryce Young back. I think the receivers are playing better. I think they run the football. And I think Will Anderson gets after an undersized Jane Daniels. I don't think he's able to expose them, let's say, that Ole Miss, the way Ole Miss was exposed. So we're going to go Alabama. We're going to go Alabama big. All right? Alabama minus the 13 and a half. Here, let's pick the Crimson Tide to roll. Set up ultimately. I think their next big matchup will be against Ole Miss. That you know, and, and then find their way to uh, the SEC championship once again. We'll see. We'll see how that plays out. All right, Clemson minus three and a half at Notre Dame. Notre Dame looked good against Syracuse. We we liked Syracuse. We've liked Syracuse for some time. I think the decision-making by Dino Babers and what he decided to do with, with quarterback Schrader, uh, Schrader to, to play him, he was not himself in the first half. When they went to their backup, they got some, they got some juice, but it just wasn't enough. Uh, Notre Dame was physical, used their tight ends, played good defense, and ultimately in a game in South Bend, and I don't know why I feel this way, but this team seems to get up for big games, big opponents. Clemson is favored by three and a half points. That 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 hook, that half point for me, tells me something. I think Clemson could win by a field goal ultimately, but let's go Notre Dame plus the three and a half. Let's go with that. It wouldn't surprise me if they won outright too, and that would open the door big time for North Carolina. Huge, because North Carolina's only loss this year is to Notre Dame. Big deal there uh, in South Bend. All right, Wake Forest coming off that horrible loss to Louisville. They're four-and-a-half-point favorites at NC State. NC State, for the life of me, I don't know how they figured out a way to beat Virginia Tech the other night. I mean, they just cannot do anything on offense. And when you're going up against an offensive juggernaut like Sam Hartman and Wake Forest, four-and-a-half points is just not enough. All right, so let's go Wake Forest minus the four-and-a-half here. On to Oklahoma State at Kansas. I mean, Kansas was our darling, right? They were the lifeblood of the show. They are at the at this moment. They're five and three. Uh, they're still trying to get bowl eligible, and they take on a very wounded Oklahoma State Cowboys team that comes in after a forty-eight to nothing just drubbing uh, on the weekend. They are a favorite by two points in uh, Lawrence, Kansas. I don't know where Jalen Daniels stands at the quarterback position. This will be the first time we've done this all year long, everybody. 
but we are going to go against the Kansas Jayhawks. We're going to say that Oklahoma State rebounds and Spencer Sanders and this team goes on the road, wins a football game in a difficult environment to get back on track. So let's go Oklahoma State minus the two in this matchup. Texas Tech at TCU. The number is almost 70 points. The way TCU scores, the way Texas Tech scores, I don't know if Texas Tech can really score anymore with the fact that their quarterback is so it's it's so suspect in who they play, how they play. Baylor, Baylor dominated them late in that football game last week. I think 42 to 17 was the final. That right there is 59 points. Uh, I could see TCU scoring 35, 35-20, maybe something like that. So TCU's favored by nine and a half. Let's go with the under, though. I think a lot of people would assume with these two teams, let's go over. Let's go under 69 and a half in this matchup between Texas Tech and TCU. All right, Texas at Kansas State. Why in the hell are the Texas Longhorns favored by two and a half points in Manhattan after we just witnessed an Oklahoma State team who, by the way, beat Texas a few weeks ago, absolutely throttled in Manhattan. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. And so, once again, the the gods in Vegas give us a, a present. They're like, hey, here you go. You want Texas, once again, to be your biggest upset of the week? All right, let's do it. Kansas State, plus the two and a half. They win. They are the upset of the week for us. Roll with it. Guaranteed. Longhorns. Fourth loss of the year. Starts to trend. Downward. Spiral. That's where we're looking. All right. Started off Friday night. Little uh, Oregon State at Washington. Both teams 6-2. and two. Washington's a 4.5-point favorite. Uh, the total is 54.5. Let's go over. Let's say that both these teams score a ton of points. I don't think defenses on both sides are going to be great. Uh, at Washington says a lot for me. Let's go over 54.5 points in this matchup to get things kicked off on Friday night. North Carolina versus Virginia. We were so close with our upset last week with Virginia. Miami was <laughs> Miami won the game 14 to 12. It was plus two, so you know we pushed. But we didn't get the outright win, which is what we were looking for, and it looked that way for the longest time. But Virginia cannot score a point. I mean, they can do nothing on offense. Nothing. So UNC can, and they clearly are. And so we got them minus the seven. I think they win by more than a touchdown, of course. UNC continues to roll. Virginia is bad people they are really bad all right Arizona versus Utah this was a game a week ago that the over under for Arizona USC was 76 and I said there's no way in hell that happens well they had it done they got it done they scored 80 plus points Arizona can score they can't stop anybody right so I think Arizona hangs with them I know it's going to be colder it's going to be in Salt Lake City Sounds like Cam Rising's going to be back for the Utah Utes, but don't be surprised if Bryce